InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. If at one time Americans felt they were relatively safe from the outside world, well, that feeling was shattered by the 9-11 tragedy. We learned very dramatically that terrorism can happen in this country. But after so much progress in securing our nation, how vulnerable do we remain? Joining us to talk about this is national security expert Stephen Flynn. Stephen, welcome to InfoTrack. I'm delighted to be with you. You've written a book called America the Vulnerable, How Our Government is Failing to Protect Us from Terrorism. So you don't feel we've made a lot of progress in securing our nation? I'm afraid not, and certainly what we've seen in the aftermath of Hurricane Cortina should give all Americans some pause about our ability to respond to terrorist attacks when they take place on our soil. I mean, the central thrust of my message is you can't prevent every act of terror, and therefore you better be prepared for managing the consequences when these attacks take place. And putting all our eggs in the basket of trying to keep the problem overseas so that it'll never happen here is a nice idea, but as a practical matter, it just won't work in reality. Now, you were a uh, project manager for a Homeland Security Task Force, and you're a former commander in the U.S. Coast Guard. I guess it's just the nature of our country that there are so many little ways that people can attack us, so many uh, ways to get into the country, and so many things that can be done. Is it really impossible to completely protect this nation? It certainly is impossible to prevent every single act of terror, just like it's impossible to prevent every act of violence. But we can manage these attacks so that we don't turn ourselves inside out as a society. And many of the things that we can do are things that can make the difference between potentially tens of lives lost and thousands of lives lost. And the inability to be able to respond nimbly when something goes wrong is where most lives end up in jeopardy, not the actual act itself. But you do feel that there are security gaps that should be addressed. There are huge ones. One of the ones I highlight in particular is in the area of our seaports and especially the big containers that come in on ships that go to trains and trucks. And again, it's not that we can stop every possible attack or use of these as essentially a poor man's missile. But one of my fears is that if we have a single event where a container goes off and we can't figure out where it came from, then everything looks scary. So the way in part you manage this kind of event, both to deter it ideally and then to make sure that the consequences aren't enormously disruptive and destructive, is if we begin the process of actually tracking what moves through our system, that we do something like I've been involved with in Hong Kong where every single container coming into the seaport receives an X-ray image or a gamma ray image, goes through a radiation portal, it's put into a database, and all this is happening with the trucks moving at speeds of 10 miles per hour. What you have is just like the closed-circuit TVs in London after the attack on the subway system there didn't prevent the attack, but it allowed you to start to pull back and find out where the problems were. We're talking on InfoTrack with national security expert Stephen Flynn. Stephen, after all of the uh, changes that have been made in airport security, how safe is it to fly on an airliner today? Well, certainly from the 9-11 scenario, which is people getting on with weapons and grabbing a hold of the aircraft and turning into a missile, we've got that pretty well under control. And frankly, a lot of that had to do not so much with everything we've done at airports, but two critical things, locking the cockpit door and secondly, changing the behavior of passengers. That is, now passengers know that if somebody sees an airplane, it's about potentially that you're going to be turned into uh, part of this missile. 
And so many of the things that we could have done to deal with that particular threat scenario, relatively low cost, involved in engaging the citizenry, versus all the expenditures that we've done on airports are a bit over the top, particularly compared to what has ended up neglecting in other sectors, like, for instance, mass transit systems and seaports, chemical, food, and so forth. Yeah, let's talk for a minute about bioterrorism and the ways of attacking our food supply. What would you suggest be done that's not being done in these areas? Well, one of the things, again, that we should be realizing is that what terrorists are intent on doing is not necessarily killing us in mass numbers, but as much as to cause as much, inflict as much pain as possible on our society in terms of economic disruption. If you poison the food supply, you can't kill a lot of people, frankly, because as people become sick, people quickly stop eating. The real effect is on the economic disruption. If we suddenly all think that all beef is potentially dangerous, we stop eating beef, and that huge industry worth billions of dollars suddenly crashes on us, and nobody outside our country wants to buy our beef anymore. So it's not about putting an armed guard around every cattle to prevent it from being poisoned by a would-be terrorist. It's about having the ability to detect a disease early on and to isolate where, in fact, the infection could have taken place. Some of this is like a very low-cost use of a microchip in the cow's ear that tells where it's come from, what's the immunization records, where it's hung out as it's moved around before it got into the food chain. This, when something goes wrong then, you're able to go back and isolate where all the other cows are. But if the sense is that there is no system, as there is not today, to identify the source of the infection, then everybody stops eating. That becomes a real problem. In how many ways are we compromising our freedom in this country to protect terrorism? Is there a a risk that we might be doing too much to uh, limit our freedoms? As a security expert, I am not supportive of any security measure that's just about security. Because what happens over time is we become complacent as the threat doesn't materialize right away. And there isn't much in the way of buy-in. So the things that I call for are things that would make good sense even if there wasn't a security threat. You know, we need clearly a better functioning public health service to deal with problems like avian flu, which could turn into a pandemic that could kill potentially millions of people in our country. If public health capability would help us deal with not a man-made threat like that, but it would also, of course, give us the same capability to manage a bioattack. In a similar fashion, the same kinds of capabilities you need from emergency responders to deal with the aftermath of a hurricane or an earthquake is the same capabilities you need to deal with something involved with the weapon of mass destruction. So what we can be doing and must be doing as a society is stepping back and looking at the things that are most valuable to us and are currently extremely vulnerable, even if we took the terrorists out of the picture. That doesn't impact on civil liberties. In fact, I think it's all about investing in things that we've taken too long for granted. As a national security expert, if you had to uh, take a guess, because they say it's not if but when, where exactly do you think another attack would happen in this country? What's the most likely point of attack? I see three critical sectors that remain so much to be done. One is the area of these containers because they really are our manufacturing retailing sector. If you blow up one or two Al-Qaeda style and we suddenly stop and examine every box, we shut down the trade system. That's a big vulnerability. The second is the area of food supply. Again, not because you can necessarily kill a lot of people by doing it this way, but because one of the few things America exports today is food and it's central to our economy. And thirdly is the chemical industry. We have around this country about 15,000 chemical facilities that under the worst case scenario could kill or injure up to 100,000 people in the surrounding areas. That's the equivalent of having 15,000 weapons of mass destruction 
positioned around our country in urban areas near other critical infrastructures, which today the federal government does not have the authority to go into the facility to verify what the state of security is in them. That's just plain nuts, and those are the kinds of things that we need to begin to take far more seriously if we are not going to have repeats of the events that we saw in 9-11. Stephen, do you think the Department of Homeland Security has a problem with bureaucracy? Is it all tied up in knots? There's no question that the Department of Homeland Security is not working as well as any of us would want it to work and that much more needs to be done. But it also has been giving a very fierce shot in getting its act together, not just from the standpoint it takes time to do this, but in terms of real resource investment to make sure this gets up and running and does what it needs to do. You know, most of the agencies that were put into the Department of Homeland Security, like the Coast Guard and the Customs Service, immigration and so forth, these were not services that we were spending a lot of money and giving a lot of attention to prior to 9-11. The Coast Guard today has the 39th oldest of 40 equivalent fleets in the world. Average age of its ships are over 30 years old, and most of its helicopters and aircraft are about the same. They simply won't be there in three or four years. And on the current budget sort of efforts that are now in play, it'll be 25 years before we replace them. So while there's certainly been commitment of resources, not near to the level which we need for these agencies to function even remotely well. And that's something that we have to treat with far greater priority. And let me say, by contrast, we're willing to spend, as we will this year, close to half a trillion dollars, $500 billion, on our traditional national security apparatus. We'll spend close to $3 billion building a new Navy destroyer, but the Coast Guard is going to be lucky to get a billion dollars to replace, begin as a down payment to replace this entire fleet. So as a nation, we're not adapting to the new national security realities that 9-11 illustrated. It's a lot of business as usual in terms of what we do in the Pentagon, and then we essentially quibble over relatively small amounts of resources that we're willing to invest on protecting ourselves here at home. The average person listening to this show, what can they do to perhaps help this situation? Is there anything they can do? Yes, there is. What we're not doing is engaging the American people and our private sector in a collective effort to deal with our vulnerabilities and to confront this issue. We've got too much of the everyday Americans, you shop and travel and your government will take care of you. Well, that simply just isn't going to work. There's limits to what the government can accomplish, even if we threw a lot more money at it than we are. At the end of the day, we need the engagement of everyday Americans and the ingenuity of our private sector to begin to address some of our vulnerabilities and to think about how we're going to balance the imperatives of dealing with this threat with safeguarding that which we most cherish and value. There is a program that the president denounced shortly after 9-11 called the American Corps, which is designed to get Americans to begin to work on areas like supporting emergency responders and so forth. Unfortunately, there are only two people in the Department of Homeland Security assigned to the job of moving that program forward. But there are opportunities at the local level and the state level for people to get engaged. And again, don't think of it just as a kind of terrorism issue. We all face the risk of disasters and other emergencies, and by neighbors helping neighbors, we can make a big difference and not having to rely on bureaucracy. So neighbors who live near hospitals, volunteering to be a part of a team of folks who could help if there are a lot of a surge of casualties all of a sudden. These are the kinds of things that can make a real difference. The book is America the Vulnerable, author Stephen Flynn, a national security expert. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today on InfoTrack. Thank you so much for having me. Next, could portable music players like the iPod damage your hearing? 
The surprising facts coming up. Don't go away. InfoTrack will be back right after this. 